Don't mess up your gear by taping down knobs or marking your settings. With Lock Knob, you can lock down your settings and protect them from unwanted movement. You'll never lose your signature sound. What's up, everybody? This is Perry from Premier Guitar. Happy birthday to me, because today I have one of my very favorite bands. We got Matt Smith from Strike Anywhere. I've been a fan of this band for so long, and I've been really excited to do this rundown. Matt, how are you? Doing well, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us, man. So you guys uh, kind of had me scared for a while, because Iron Front is like one of my favorite records ever. And then you guys kind of went dark there for a while. But um, Strike Anywhere's back with uh, uh, Nightmares of the West, which just came out, what, last month? Yeah, in the last couple of months, yep. It's an incredible EP. I, I love the, the whole thing. It's awesome. So, um, was Nightmares of the West already planned before COVID, or is that something you guys have Yes, been? yeah, okay. it was. And then, you know, when, when everything kicked off, we were kind of debating whether to kind of put it on hold or to just go ahead and release it. And we're like, well, we've waited this long, you know, that we can't really wait much longer. And <clears throat> people have a lot of time to listen to music right now, so... I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing releasing records in the in the in the non-touring time. It just gives people a little bit more time to check it out, and you know, maybe maybe when we finally play shows, it'll people will actually know it. You know, usually when you start touring, right when an album comes out to support it, you play the new songs, and people, you know, aren't they still want to hear the old stuff? So yeah, it'll be hopefully they'll have uh, you know people will know it pretty well by the time we actually get around to playing. All right, well, uh, let's get right into it. I've seen you with this uh, SG for forever. What's the story with this bad boy? Yeah, so this SG here, it is a 82, I think. It's a second, factory second. Um, oh. I got it off my buddy Ryan Shelkett. Actually, it was Ryan Shelkett had it, and then he sold it to this dude Chris. This dude Chris sold it to me, and it was in pretty bad shape. Um, and I kind of fixed it up. I mean, nothing is original. Literally nothing is original anymore on the guitar. The guitar's had two refrets since I've had it. The neck has broken three times since I've had it, and it's been it's been repaired a ton. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I've got a rack full of guitars here, and this is just kind of the one, man. Um, I've tried switching to other stuff, and I just I just kind of keep going back to this one. I just I love the way that <clears throat> it feels. The neck is worn in, super super nice. I mean, most of the paint's gone off the neck. Um, and it just, I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. It's just the one. Yeah. I mean, for Strike Anywhere, that's a perfectly appropriate guitar, man. You know, when I think of, you know, Exit English, even like the sound that I hear in my head is like an 800 with an SG, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first, the, the first record or the first full length we did, um, I think was all Marshalls. I think it was like. JCM 800s and JMPs. I had a 50 watt two channel 800 that I got off my buddy Ryan, the same guy whose guitar this was, and uh, that amp sounded awesome. That was his unchange of the sound. And then for Exit English, we actually same guitars, pretty much all the, the pick at the time we were probably using Seymour Duncan JBs and all of our guitars, and uh, we actually used a lot of Mesas. We used rectifiers on that record. We were kind of trying to do 
something different on Exit English from Change. I mean, if, if, I don't know if you noticed, the guitars are just a little bit gainier, maybe a little oh, bit yeah. more low end. And and that's when we first started doing uh, some songs in Drop D as well. Uh, yeah, was on I, that record. Yeah, I was gonna say um, Change was like really fast and. Most of those, because I've, I've like tried to learn as many Strike Anywhere songs as I can, you know. So I've noticed that like on Change, most of those songs are E standard. But then, you know, going forward, you know, Exit English had some Drop D stuff on it and was a little heavier. Yeah, yeah, we were just, uh, you know, I think it was the second record, and we had already done our, our EP. We did a demo, and then we did an EP called Course of One, and then we did Changes of Sound. And I think when we got to Exit English, we just wanted to. I don't know, trying, trying to do a little bit more mid-tempo stuff, just trying to, you know, we were still young and kind of figuring out our sound, and I think we just wanted to try something different, and uh, we ended up writing a couple songs in Drop D, which kind of, you know, changed the vibe a little bit, and ever since then, I'd say it's probably, I don't know if it's 50-50 Drop D and E, but it's probably pretty close, it's probably 40% Drop D of all, of all the songs that we write now, just, just to kind of mix things up and yeah diversify a little bit i don't i don't like when i when i'm listening it doesn't sonically sound like that much of a departure i mean you guys you know dead fm and iron iron front was maybe a little faster or aggressive or something but i mean you guys kind of retain the, the same vibe you know when thomas is singing you yeah. know it's tom <laughs> you know yeah, yeah 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 i mean all the chords are, are very similar and stuff like that it's just you know you can get the Like, like a lot of the stuff that we do or I do or, you know, like everyone in Strike Anywhere kind of writes as well. Like Eric's written a bunch of great songs, our drummer, and, um, you know, Mark, Mark usually writes at least a couple per record, the other guitar player. And we all kind of have similar writing styles, but I think whether it's an E or D, the main thing that we try to do is just have chords where you can ring out as many open strings as possible just to kind of give it some airiness and, and some breadth. Uh, for sure, but it's 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 you just do it in different ways in D instead of E. Yeah, totally. So with that said, um, you know, do you build your set lists around tunings, or, or do you have a backup guitar for one for drop D and one for E standard? Yeah, so <laughs> we've always just you know traveled as light as we can, or you know we do a lot of stuff overseas, and it's hard to travel with with extra guitars. I mean, we've done it once or twice, but usually. Mark and I just bring one guitar a piece and we bring one backup to share just in case something happens at a show. Sure. And uh, so because of that, like let's say we're doing 15 songs, we'll do like the first three will be an E and then we'll do two in D. So we do it by blocks. And so we'll like open with the D block and then do an E block and, and you know, we might do a five song E block and then a three song D block, but that's kind of how we build our set so we don't have to you know, it's usually a natural pause where you got to catch your breath or drink some water or whatever, and we use that to kind of switch. And, um, you know, the guitars are set up well enough and stable enough going back and forth between D and E has never really been a problem. Right. Yeah, and it's not like you're, you know, shifting too much if you're just dropping to D from E standard. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. With, um, with one backup between you guys, has that ever put, put you all in a pickle? Uh... I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there's been a scenario once or twice where we've had to like borrow something off of like another band that we're on tour with. Um, but, but no, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we change our strings pretty much every show. And, uh, I mean, I would say that we're both pretty heavy handed, but, uh, I use, I think we actually both use like the orange. I usually use the orange, uh, Tortex, which is pretty thin. I think that's a 60 instead of 73. So you can strum pretty hard. 
um, you know, you can dig in pretty hard without without worrying about breaking strings too much. And then we usually just use 10 to 52. So oh, it's okay. like a little bit heavier on the low. It's like the skinny top, heavy bottom totally. um, setup. So a little bit more tuning stability with the drop D stuff. And, you know, you can still dig in without pulling, pulling too hard out of tune. You know, I've always played 10 to 52, which is like a half 10, half 11 hybrid set right. for the drop tuning portion of it. And then like, you know, when I did stuff in census failure, when I filled in with like uh, like ASG or something like that, I've always used like the beefy slinkies, the yellow pack from Ernie Ball, which is, I can't even remember, but we would use those and then we would take the low string and like if it was 54 or something on the low, we would go up one and do 56. I can't remember. I've got them later on here later on your summer but that was for drop c and then the tension still felt the same because just the tuning's lower so it felt felt pretty natural um right. but yeah right on so um you know when you're touring with strike anywhere are you still rocking that 800 or yeah yeah so i've had the same head for i don't even know 10 10 plus years 15 years and it's just a single channel jcm 800 from the late 80s I think it's like an 88 or something and um it has the 6550s it has the bigger the bigger tubes and we're just mark has a jmp but it's also a 2203 but it's like the the late jmp which is similar to an early 800 i think the model's still 2203 and we both ended up running it the same way with basically just the two center tubes and we took out the two outer tubes so it's running at 50 watts and it wasn't like Originally by design, it was out of necessity. I was on a tour, I think I was on like Warp Tour in like 2005 or something, and one of my tube sockets was acting up, or and then it blew one of the tubes. So one of my buddies who was like a tech on the tour was like, we can just take out the two outer ones and you just run it at 50 watts. And he checked the bias and uh, set it all up. And like literally I've just ran it that way ever since because it sounds great, it's plenty loud enough. I mean, I never really, I never really get it past like two and a half on the master volume. Right, um, right. And that's running at 50 watts, and, and, and Mark's doing the same thing with his head. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've ran forever. I mean, there was a brief phase. I've always kind of ran two cabinets, because I've been lucky. I've been lucky to have my own side of the stage. So you know, to fill up the side of the stage to make it symmetrical to the other side, I would always run two cabs. And I've had a few different over the years, but I've had like um, a Mesa rectifier. I like to use like an orange or rectifier cab with a Marshall just because it's the bigger, little bit bigger box and um, it handles the low end a little bit better and adds a little bit of low end. And that's my one problem with the Marshalls uh, was not having enough low end. So, so I've usually ran two cabs. I've also got one of those like really cool vintage Marshall 810 tall cabs. Oh, those are so sweet. So for, for a while I was running one of those and then also that uh, probably it would have been that Mesa. Um, but so for a little while I was running like a, like a, my 800, but also with like a tiny tear out of the second one, so it could be more of like a mid-rangey kind of grindy sound that I could mix with the kind of the transparency of the 800. But you know, now we just keep things simple. I just I just usually just do one cab in the 800, and and Mark does the uh, same thing. Right on. Now, do do you notice anything tonally different about running your 800 at 50 watts? Because I feel like I don't know. I could be totally making this up, but in my head, when I hear an 800 running at 50, it sounds like it breaks up a lot quicker or something, and it seems like it's got a little more saturation, but have you noticed anything totally different? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's, a, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, 
The 800 that I have, it, as far as I know, and everyone that's looked at it says it's not modified, but for some reason it has, it has a fair amount of gain. You know, 800s are so inconsistent. We've we get, we've gotten them as rentals a ton or backline stuff. You know, uh, on tours, especially stuff overseas, and I just feel like they're they're great. But sometimes you get one that barely has any gain, and you've got to like totally dime it. And then some of them, you know, are pretty gainy. So I, I usually I feel like with mine. Once I get it up past like seven on the gain, it starts to get a little mushy. It starts to like the low end starts to loosen up. So I've always preferred to kind of keep mine. And mine's, mine's gainier, I think, than some. I like to keep mine about seven on the preamp. And then I'll usually push it, push the front end with a boost. I, I usually use a two-stage boost oh, gotcha. touring just, just for simplicity. Like so I don't have to carry two pedals. But I could have like the amp is kind of like my more skilled back tone with the boost off. And then the boost is my normal sound. And then like like right now I've got the Bogner uh, Blue Ecstasy on my board and I'll use that. And then that's got the second stage boost that's adjustable as well. So I can kick that on for lead parts or whatever. Totally, totally. Um, I, I don't mean to skip around a little bit, but um, with Strike Anywhere, do you have any other guitars that you would be taking on the road? Yeah, so I've, I've kind of switched around a fair amount over the years you know, this is the one that i've kind of always gone back to but uh this guitar here this is another this is my other sg this is a 81 firebrand and this was our old guitar player matt sherwood's guitar i ended up picking up like a one of those orville the japanese yeah. falls i picked up one of those on a japan tour i used it for years but we just didn't click so I sold it to Matt or actually traded Matt for this and I, I can't remember what else was involved in the deal but this one doesn't really come out a lot but I've used it a lot for recording. Uh, this one here back in the Exit English days I took on tour a lot. This is a um, 77 Les Paul Pro oh, cool. that originally had P90s in it and it was routed out to humbuckers and I've, I've used this a ton but it's just a little bit heavy and also it's like kind of technically my nicest guitar so it kind of stays at home yeah um, if you got kids jumping off the stage and stuff you probably don't want to take <laughs> you know yeah. your, your really good stuff oh yeah and uh so this is an, an e2 eclipse that i got uh tony at esp when i was playing with census fail um he, he helped us out a lot, and I got a couple LTDs of, like, the I guess the EC100s, EC1000s. Yeah. And then I eventually got this, and this guitar sounds absolutely phenomenal. I love it. It plays great. I've used this in, like, some other stuff that I do, some other bands that I've played with. But I've taken it out on tour, like, maybe once or twice to strike anywhere. But the guys are always like, dude, where's the SG? Why didn't you bring the SG? So, uh, yeah. This one doesn't go too much. This is a junior. This is a, it's one of those Gibson Guitar of the Week. It is a uh, Les Paul Junior Nashville. And I had, I got Duncan to make, like, it's basically a mini humbucker that fits under the P90, so it's oh, home canceling. Cool. And I used that for a while, but now that I'm not really taking a touring, I put the P90 back in just so I can have something kind of different. And then. For a brief period, probably in like the Dead FM era, Mark and I were both playing hollow bodies for a minute. Really? I guess we were going through like, I don't even know, like a, like a rancid phase or something. Or I'm, I, I don't know how it happened, but there was, a, there was a time when we both played some of my hollow bodies. So this is, this Sheridan sounds 
absolutely killer. It the only th- I love a Sheridan. Yeah. The the only thing that's changed on it is I think it has like a pickup that came out of one of my SGs that I swapped out with the stock pickup. And other than that, it's basically factory and it sounds great, but I took this I took this on a handful of tours, but then, you know, after a while I just kind of just kind of moved on. I think that was like in the dead FM area we were trying to use a little bit less gain and trying to be a little bit, you know, more jangly a little and just kind of switch it up a little bit. So, yeah. but, and Mark had an Epiphone dot for years. He now has another one of those. He has a different white Orville Les Paul custom that he's played forever. Right on. Um, so riddle me this, how the fuck did you guys play those guitars through an 800 on seven without it screaming? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess just like monitoring the volume knob, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we don't use a ton of gain, so I guess in between songs, I'd probably turn the gain off and it wouldn't, or the boost pedal off and it wouldn't be super gainy, or just kind of riding, riding the volume knob down on like stops or in between songs. I've like, I've had a noise gate here and there, but I, I, I've never really clicked with them. I feel Man. like it just it'll tighten stuff up and lock it down before I'm ready. Um, but I did have a brief period where I was using a noise gate. Man, I have a love hate relationship with noise gates because sometimes they're essential, sometimes you really need it, but. I feel like they, they kind of suck the life out of stuff sometimes, you know. There's been a couple that yeah. I've played that are great, but, but yeah, so this SG is the number one for Strike Anywhere. The 800 goes out with you. And then yeah. behind you, I think I see a Dr. Z, which is yes. not something I would have guessed you'd play, but that's awesome. Yeah, so that head, I had another, I think it was an 800 two-channel combo that I had for a little while that I acquired, I think off of Garth, our bass player. And it was just, it wasn't one of the good ones. It wasn't a magic one. And I wasn't really using it. And it was kind of sitting around and I just wanted something different. And at the time I was like doing some more kind of just lower gain, more rock and roll Americana type stuff. And I ended up picking up this Dr. Z. It's the Maz 38 Senior uh, NR non-reverb model. And I mean, it sounds awesome. It sounds killer. It's definitely, it's to me, it sounds kind of like a, a gainier, more hot rodded AC30. Oh. And uh, and the only thing that I changed on it was I think the first preamp tube, I swapped out to like a hotter tube, which basically makes it break up a little bit more. But you know, I'll turn off the boost here. And this isn't even the preamp's not even pinned. Preamp's at about seven. <laughs> So it's like it's it's pretty gainy, it's crunchy, and um, you know with a boost it's it's enough, but it's a lot more mid rangey than an 800. It's got that well, super sure. cutting mids, so it, you know it's 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 a lot of fun, man, and it cleans up and, and chimes it chimes really nice, yeah. which is cool. I mean, I mean, Dr. Z builds incredible amplifiers, man. Those things are awesome. I love an 800, but everybody knows it is a one trick pony. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does one thing really great. Yeah, it does one thing really, really good, and I don't know why, but the two-channel ones always suck to me. Like, I love the one-channel. Like, single-channel eight hundred is fucking primo, but like, I don't know yeah. why, but that second, the two-channel ones just never sounded great to me. There are there are exceptions. Like every now and then, I'll like see someone, I'll hear someone, like, oh my god, like the first one that I had, that's that that's the amp on changes the sound is a two-channel one, but it was a fifty watt, and it. Something about it was the one, and then I bought a 100-watt version of it, and it just didn't sound as good. And I got rid of it, and then I got uh, my first single-channel 800, and then I ended up finding the one that I have now, which, like, literally 
just sounded better than the other one, so I bought that and sold the other one. But they're just they're so inconsistent, yeah. you know. But like, I want to say, man, I can't remember. I don't know. I, I've heard a ton of people play two channel ones and it sound killer. But I've never been able. I've always been kind of a one the one channel guy. So is this uh, is this Doctor Z something you would take on tour? Probably not. Um, I use that like I, I play with a band here in town. I use it for that, and it lives here. And I've got this hot plate on top. I don't know if you can see this. Those things are but awesome. So the the hot plate. I mean, right now I've got it at negative sixteen dB with like the extra rotary dial turned down pretty low just to get it at like bedroom volume because this amp only sounds really good. Well, it only breaks up really good when it's just cranked. Yeah. I mean, it would be absolutely deafening right now if I. Uh, it's only 38 watts, but it's like a crazy loud 30 watts. And if I turn if I turn the hot plate off, it would just s smoke this room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would blow your windows out, dude. Those those Doctor Z amps are just they have such a high headroom, they could kill you. <laughs> you know they're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and this uh, this hot plate it's got like a, a like a presence like a bright switch and a deep switch too. So like since it's such a mid rangey amp, if you engage the deep switch and maybe the bright switch, it gives it a little bit more of like a, you know. A, like a, just a less mid-heavy sound. Sure, that's cool to have those uh, tone shaping functions right on the attenuator, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I guess um, now we're on to effects because, um, you know, I've heard some modulation effects on your, in, your, on your, in your records, but not a ton. What are you... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know that you're running, you know, uh, a boost. Um, but what else you got going on on that board? Yeah, so, you know, recording-wise, you know, we would definitely... Brian McTernan, who's, who's helped us with everything over the years, and, uh, you know, he'll always kind of be like, yeah, we should put a little something on this, you know? And, and, and you know, all of the leads and stuff in the recordings all have delays and stuff like that. And, I mean, for years, I never used anything except for just a boost pedal and a tuner. And, uh, and over the years, I've, I've gotten a little bit more experimental with stuff. Um, but yeah, I definitely always use a delay now. And it's just like a light delay for when I basically just when I cut on the leads. And um, like I said before, I've got this Bogner XC right now that I'm using, which is a two-channel boost I like a lot. And then, uh, I mean, right now on my pedal board, I've got like a super light chorus that I can turn on just, just for kind of fun yeah. here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got a few other things on here that just for when I'm playing around the house, I've got like a one of those JHS Muffaletta. It's like a big muff um, clone. And then I've got a Phase 90 on my board um, and the chorus and a volume pedal. Right on. So that uh, that's a that's a pretty Spartan rig for touring. I mean, that's not a whole lot of stuff, which is probably, yeah. it's probably better that way for Strike Anywhere because there are kids flying every which way. I'm sure you have lost gear to that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, a, a lot of times we keep our pedals at the back of the stage. A lot of times we'll set, a, set them up by the amps just because, you know, stuff gets kicked unplugged and then you're trying to plug stuff back in or whatever. So uh, that's probably part of the reason why we've kind of kept it simple. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Effects are fun, man. It's, it's a good time. They are super fun, man. You can get it's a, it's a it's a world that you can get easily lost in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely with all this extra extra free time at home, I've been I've been having a lot of fun playing around with stuff. But the new thing that I've been kind of messing around with is I picked up one of those uh, Strymon Iridiums a oh, couple weeks super back. Super cool. Yeah. On the recommendation of my buddy Gavin, who just got one, 
who I played with in Census Fail, and uh, I absolutely love it, man. It's so cool. It's just just makes it so easy to get a really good tone really quick and record it without having to set up a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, I don't know, but I'm toying with the idea of maybe like picking up one of those Duncan power stages and like trying to use it as a fly rig into just a cab. You know what? Um, I, when those first came out, I'm like, ah, oh, this can't sound good. But I've heard them sound pretty great. And the power stage especially is good for modeling amps. Like if you're, you know, internationally touring a lot, taking a Kemper or something like that, those things totally do the trick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just also like the simplicity or just the logistics of not having to rent a head and knowing how like inconsistent the heads can be, especially sometimes with backline companies. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give it a try. I mean, worst case scenario, could always maybe like have a backup head or whatever the first time I try it. But I think it could work, man. I think you're right. Matt, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Um, this has been awesome, dude. I am so excited about the new record. I, I have listened to it <laughs> almost nonstop since it came out. Um, if you guys haven't heard it, it totally rips. There's some great songs on there. You got to check that out. Can't wait for a full length. So tell Tom and all the dudes, like, get on it, man. We waited 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sent, him a, I sent him a new idea the other day and he texted me back a very sweet message like, oh, thank you for sending that. I did get it and I am working on it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a sweetheart. But yeah, we're, we're working on stuff. It's just, you know, right now, Thomas lives out in uh, the Bay Area. Right. And the rest of us are on the East Coast. So at some point, we'll probably get the, get the East Coast guys together and start maybe working on some music and sending out some demos right. to, to Tom to try to get, so, get cranking on. So for Nightmares of the West, uh, did you, you know, write parts like at home and then send them to the other guys and like collaborate that way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's generally how we've always kind of done things. Like all this like... A lot of times I just have my phone sitting on a counter and I'll have it on voice memo and I'll kind of do just like a fragment, like not a full, sometimes it's a full realized song, but a lot of times it'll just be like maybe an intro and a verse and a chorus. And then I'll, usually I'll just send that straight to Thomas because if he can't come up with something good over it, there's no point in even us all. Like back in the day, we'd sit down and we'd have this perfectly like recorded demo. I had a little home studio and we would have it like perfect and then he'd try to sing over it and it just didn't click. And it was like, well, wasted some time there. But, uh, <laughs> So, you know, generally we all just kind of come up with ideas and we send it to Thomas and then he'll like send back literally like a recording, he'll like garage band sing some lyrics over this like iPhone guitar recording. And sometimes it sounds awesome or not, it doesn't sound awesome, but you can kind of tell, you know, you can, you can envision what it's going to become. And then based on the strength of that, we'll bring it into the practice space and then like really iron it out together. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, hell yeah, man. Thank you again for taking the time to do this. This is, um, Perry Bean with Premier Guitar. Stay tuned for other rig rundowns, riff rundowns. The new Hooked series, if you haven't heard it, is super fun. You should check it out. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.